It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey everyone, welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo of MLBPipeline.com. We're going to draft the Pipeline prospect team of the year. One by one, Jonathan and Jim picking their guys off the board. That's how we'll cover that. Also in the, the, this edition, we'll take a look at guys who had great second halves of the season after week first halves. So it gives you optimism heading into the, the future in the 2017 season. We're going to start, though, with an interview with Rob Zestrisny, the reliever now of the Chicago Cubs. Our producer here on the Pipeline podcast, Danny Wexelman, got a chance to catch up with Rob in Chicago or in St. Louis. Let's check in on that interview. starter you wake up in the morning and you uh you kind of just enjoy your day you eat whatever you need to eat to get ready to start and uh you know you kind of do exactly what you need to do and when you're in the pen you have to be ready every day so you're always watching what you eat you're always watching how much you sleep whereas the day before I start I make sure I get eight hours I wait, wake up and eat breakfast now I have to make sure I get eight hours every day wake up and get <laughs> breakfast and uh you know, I get my adrenaline pumping in the 8th, 7th, 6th inning, which is right around 10 o'clock now, which is crazy because before at 10 o'clock I'm wiped out, exhausted because I've already thrown six innings. And now it's I'm about to throw in the 6th, 7th, 8th, and if I don't, you know, I just kind of get the adrenaline going for no reason. So I go in there and eat, and then I lie in bed for three hours get my adrenaline pumping. And, I mean, so you're coming out of different places, obviously, too. So what are you doing? Well, I've come out long relief twice, and then I've come out for one inning four times or three times, and uh, so they've kind of used me in every situation. That's kind of how I went in with my mindset was I'm going to be ready for any situation at any given time. So if a starter starts struggling, maybe throws 30 pitches in an inning or something, I start stretching out just in case, or uh, they usually give me a decent heads up. They've been really good about that because they know that I'm new to this, and I can't get ready in two minutes anymore. Like. I'm a starter. It takes me 30 minutes to get ready and start days. So they've done a good job to give me almost a full inning to get ready and stuff. But there's been two or three times it's been, Rob, get up, go. You're going in and two hitters. And I'm like, okay, I got this. I'll go do it. Okay, so you weren't in any really chance of spring. Um, so is this your first chance uh, working with the Cubs coaching staff? And what changes, recommendations have they been giving you um, since you've come up? Uh, well, my first... 20 minutes I was called up, uh, Basio walked up to me and was like, hey, we're going to go outside and work on your pickoff move right now. And I was like, okay. And he uh, he worked with me a little bit on holding runners a little bit better because a lot, a lot of guys run, run up here. In the minor leagues, you got two guys per team maybe. But here it's like four or five guys in the lineup at one time that can run. So uh, we kind of worked on that a little bit. But uh, Basio talked to the minor league camp, I think, two spring trainings ago, and I kind of got the vibe of who he was as a coach. And uh, so when I got here, I kind of had the idea. And uh, I would have liked to go to big league camp and work with these guys. But 
it was also kind of cool to come in fresh. Like they don't know me and they kind of let me do what I do here. And then they work with me on that, which I thought was kind of nice. And do they, are they providing any scouting reports as far as like statistical things that goes? Like you missed that cat there, obviously, like everything just changed. Yeah. Are they giving you those reports in that manner? Yeah, we, we go over reports on uh, every team the first game that we come in and play. And uh, in the minor leagues, it's like he will chase or he's fast, kind of the extent of it. Here it's like he'll chase in this count, he'll run in this count. And, uh, you know, it helps you out because it gives you an idea of what they're trying to do. And so it kind of gives you an idea of what you should do to counter that. Are you looking at heat maps? Uh, I haven't gotten any, but I'm sure the starters do. I mean, I don't know who I'm going to face when I come in. I could face the lineup twice, or I could face three guys or one guy. So, you know, I, I haven't really looked too much in depth on it, but they're, re they're really helpful in the minor leagues. I, I, I used them for when, when I started. Cause, yeah, because it, it was three times through the order. Like the first two times, you can kind of work your way through, but the third time, they know what you're, you're trying to do, and so you kind of have to – go to their weakness the third time. So if you don't know what they can't hit, you don't know what to do. Is that you looking that up or is that your? No, they, they had it for us, yeah. This is your first year throwing the cup fastball? Yes. Okay, so, and you've allowed one hit on it so far? Here? In general, yeah. <laughs> I think here? so, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's what we have. So, so you're learning this new pitch. Just talk about the process of how that works and um, were there pitchers with good lefty cutters that you look to Actually, when I first started throwing it, I watched Travis Wood and how he used it. And I haven't told him this or anything, but uh, he kind of uses it early in counts and late in counts. He, he has a multiple uses for a cutter, which I find fascinating. A lot of guys only have one use, and he uses it to get ahead. He, he uses it to uh, get into advantage counts and stuff. And uh, I watched him throw it a lot. And I've always been able to get through a fastball throw it to glove side pretty well. And so I was throwing a bullpen one day in advanced instructs, which is – I guess just instructs. <laughs> uh, they call it advanced to make us feel good. But uh, I was throwing a bullpen. I was like, well, what if I just kind of get on the side of the ball? And the first four or five times I threw it, it wasn't very good. It was just shooting way too far glove side. And then I started aiming it a little more left. And I started being able to throw it in the zone. So I messed around with it for about a month right before the fall league. And then in the fall league, I told the coaches and the coordinators, I was like, hey, I'm throwing this. And so they were kind of skeptical at first. And they saw it. And they're like, all right, if you can control it, go do it. And so I threw it all in the fall league, and then this offseason I kind of tinkered with it a little bit and started throwing it back door and front door. And, I mean, talk about the effectiveness of it, too. You're not just throwing it for balls. Yeah, I, I feel like it, it's a good pitch to start in the zone and run out. But every now and then you, you can start it away and run it in and kind of miss a barrel, which is kind of what I've been using it for a lot here is like maybe a 2-1 count or something, throwing a – cutter that starts on the bottom of the zone and runs out to get, get some weak contact and uh, that's kind of how I'd use it in AAA and that, that was how I was, have, I was able to have success there. I can tell Travis, yeah, I'm going to walk in there and be like, hey man, you might hear this, but I watched you a lot on film. It's not weird. Alright, thanks again to Danny Wex for doing that interview with Rob and I'll let you guys kind of chime in on Zestrizny. I'll start with you, Jonathan. Here's a guy who who's been a starter, reliever now, um, when you look at this Cubs team and all the talent they have, what's the future for him? Yeah, I, I think long term his his role is probably going to be uh, in, in the bullpen. Uh, they certainly have developed him for as long as they could as a starter, and he's had some success that that way. And 
Uh, some of it I wonder if he were in an organization that had more pitching depth, whether they would have already moved him to the pen. Uh, but they, they haven't developed a whole lot of pitching in, in general uh, in the system. So could he start maybe? Yeah, but uh, I think he could impact uh, the big league team full-time in 2017. Uh, out of the bullpen, I think his delivery and stuff uh, would, will play very well in a relief role. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, you know, how much he gets used uh, and, and how he throws. But uh, if I were a betting man, I would say that he's a relief pitcher long-term. Jim, what does he still need to kind of tweak, work on a little bit before he kind of reaches that potential? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on what that role is going to be. I mean, he's pitched very well in relief. He's given up one run in 11-plus in innings. I mean, obviously small sample size. But the interesting thing to me is that when he was in the minors, uh, the, the, the thing you always heard about with, it, with him were the two things he needed to work on the most were, were his control-slash-command and then also his breaking ball. He didn't have a real good curveball, and he was he'd kind of come up with a cutter to be kind of a semi-breaking ball. wasn't really a slider, um, and neither was particularly effective. And in the big leagues, in shorter stints, and again, it's a small sample size, so I'm not saying he's got it all figured out, he's thrown a lot more strikes, and his probably most effective pitch has been his curveball and his cutter as compared to his fastball and his changeup. So... Uh, you know, I think he just obviously needs to keep doing what he's doing. Um, I agree with Jonathan. Uh, you know, I don't know if he necessarily would have moved in another organization. I don't know if I agree with that part of it because he is a lefty with a good arm, and when he's on, and he's been inconsistent, when he's on, he, he can look like a number three starter at, at times. But I think with the Cubs, what happened was is they needed a lefty in the bullpen. He was in AAA. You know, he had pitched to one relief appearance this year. So it wasn't like they really groomed him for it. It was just a need. Hey, let's call him up. And he's pitched very well um, in, in that role, uh, admittedly, in a very small sample size. So, you know, my guess is is that they will, you know, it's not broken, so they won't attempt to fix it. And that if he, you know, he'll probably get a chance to make the team as a lefty reliever next year. All right. The Pipeline po- Prospect Team of the Year is available on MLBPipeline.com. And uh, we're going to be completely honest here, guys. We drafted this team already once, but due to some technical difficulties, <laughs> that podcast never made it to the world. But we know what happened. But I think it wouldn't make sense to just do it all again. So let's switch it up a little bit, and we're going to go, Jim Callis threw this out there, serpentine-style draft. So we're going to start with the same first pick, Jonathan. That's going to belong t- to you. But then, Jim, you're going to get two and three, Jonathan four and five, back and forth that way. Hey, we'll mix it up. It'll be something different. We'll end up with different teams on either side. But let's start with Jonathan. If you had to pick one player off the pipeline team of the year, and this isn't one player because of the best season he had in 2016, it's who you want going forward in their careers. Who are you taking first? First, I'm officially protesting um, this draft. Absolutely. I mean, what sport have you ever seen a serpentine draft in? What sport have you ever seen a draft redo? Well, you know, right. I guess uh, with, it's, with in a way, two, the other way was fair because so. the inferior team usually picks first. So I guess it was fair that Jonathan was picking <laughs> ahead of me in each round. So Anyway, Jonathan, you're up. He, he was saving that one. All right. Uh, I am going to take Alex Bregman. He was our hitter of the year. But as you said, it's not just for what he, he did this year. It's what I think long-term he's going to do. Uh, and what he's doing now, you know, after that uh, initial slump uh, when he first got to the big leagues and was trying to – trying to do a little too much and got inside his head too much. Uh, I think this is what he's going to do. He's going to hit for average. 
Uh, he's going to hit for power. Uh, he's going to play. Uh, if he stays at third base, he's going to play a really, really good defensive third base. I think he has a chance to stay there. Uh, but regardless of where he plays, the offense is going to profile well, and uh, he's the, the most dynamic offensive player on, I think, you know, in terms of what he can uh, do in helping to produce runs uh, on this team. All right, Jim, you got your wish. So you have two picks here, number two and then number three. And I think we need the serpentine, serpentine sound effect from the in-laws uh, to, to introduce this segment. <laughs> I'm disappointed we did not, uh, did not get that, but uh, I'm glad we're going serpentine. I will, I will pick a pair of Red Sox with picks two and three. Uh, I'll take you on Mankata at two, and I and with like Johnson said, I, I would have taken Alex Bregman number one, very slightly over Mankata. I think Mankata's got a little bit higher ceiling. Bregman's got a little bit higher floor. You could you could really make the argument either way, but with Mankata, he's lived up to the Robinson Cano with more speed hype throughout his his two year minor league career since he, he signed for thirty one and a half million dollars, and the Red Sox paid a, a matching tax penalty on top of that. You know, tremendous tools. You're a little overmatched in the big leagues right now, but then again, I don't think we necessarily expect him to be in the big leagues quite this quickly. And then with the third overall pick, I'll take another Red Sox. Andrew Benintendi moved very quickly like Bregman did from the 2015 draft to the big leagues, just came back off the DL, actually was you know took over the left field job in Boston in August and was very good you know right off the bat. I think even playing a little bit better than the Red Sox could have hoped for. Offensively and defensively, looked very good in left field after barely playing there at all in the minors. He's a natural center fielder, and the Red Sox are are loaded with them. What is that? Jonathan's That's my car alarm. Okay. Um, anyway, I guess somebody didn't like Andrew Benintendi. They were trying to hijack the podcast there. But, uh, no, I mean, I think with, with both Mankata and Benintendi, the Red Sox have close to five-tool guys who can impact the game in a variety of ways and, and you know, very, very good prospects who have already gotten to the big leagues. Never a dull moment here on the Pipeline Podcast. We have car alarms. <laughs> we have a, a little bit of everything. So uh, off the board are Brigman, Mankata, Benintendi. Just so people who haven't seen this team yet know where we're heading, there's 12 total players. There's a right-handed starter, a left-handed starter, a reliever, and a DH. So there's your full roster that we're going with, 12 overall players. Jonathan, you have picks number four and five. That was my 2009 Honda Odyssey officially complaining about the Serpentine draft. <laughs> um, I am going to uh, first uh, stay up the middle with, uh, with Trey Turner uh, of the Nationals. I know he's sort of settled in center field for them. Uh, I still think he could play shortstop every day at the big leagues. Uh, and, uh, you know, what he has shown uh, an ability to do is what he can do. First of all, the speed is, you know, top of the chart speed he's a, a base dealing threat and he knows what he's doing on the bases uh and that you know speed is is hard to find uh and the ability to use it effectively also and you know i think the biggest question and we've talked about it countless times both on this podcast and uh, jim and i just when we're, we're talking about what's going on is, uh, the biggest question is why the nationals didn't have him up sooner uh i would have had him on the opening day roster and uh but you know, now that he's there, he's showing how dynamic he can be. He can hit for average. He's got extra base ability. Uh, but that speed is really what uh, sticks out to me. And then I'll go back to the outfield, and I'll take David Dahl, uh, who, uh, you know, it's amazing how productive he's been or that he's even in the big leagues, given the amount of time that he's missed with some freakish injuries, the ruptured spleen uh, from crashing into the wall, 
but he can really hit, uh, obviously hit the ground running with a hitting streak to start off his big league career. But uh, he's got a lot of tools as, as well, uh, so I'm happy to, to get him with, uh, with number five. Plenty of pitching still available here, Jim. You going to stick with the bats? You have six and seven. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I don't know what order I would take these guys in, but I guess I get to take them both, so I don't have to, like, really uh, sweat it. Um, but I'll take Tyler Glass now and Gary Sanchez with my next two picks. I'll take the first pitcher uh, in Glass now. You know, we, we see, we've seen him briefly in the big leagues this year. Uh, he's our pitcher of the year, the, the pipeline pitcher of the year for the second time in three seasons. He's got one of the more unhittable fastballs in the minors, not just because he throws hard, but because he creates angle with his size and has good life, and guys just don't seem to pick it up. He's got a very good curveball when he stays on top of it. And as we saw in the big leagues, like as we saw in the minor leagues, you know, the control and commander are still works in progress, but this is a guy who could pitch near the front of a rotation. So I'm happy to get him and and then uh, with Gary Sanchez, I don't know if if, if gun to my head who I would have picked if I had to choose one of them. You know, Gary Sanchez spectacular with 11 home runs in in August after the, the Yankees called him back up. You know, I'm not. I, I, he's not as good as he was in August because it's. Uh, you I'll go on a limb and say he won't average 66 homers a season or 11 homers a month. But he's also not. He, this isn't you know Kevin Moss, uh, Shane Spencer. This is a guy with legitimate power legitimate arm strength, still needs to clean up his receiving a little bit, but this is a guy who could be an all-star catcher. So it's, uh, you know, I guess if we're officially drafting these guys, I, I will take Glasnow ahead of Sanchez because I had Glasnow ranked ahead of Sanchez coming into the year, but I think you could probably argue them in either order if you wanted to. So a battery goes to, to Jim Callis' team. So back to you, Jonathan, picks eight and nine. All right, so I'll, uh, I'll go back to the mound, and I'll take Steven Gonsalves, who's our left-handed pitcher on the team and uh, at number eight. And he's one of these guys that's very quietly uh, becoming one of the better left-handed pitching prospects in baseball. And I think when all of a sudden we may look back and say he's one of those guys that was kind of constantly underrated and underranked and ends up being very successful at the big league level. Uh, he's always been a guy – who knew how to pitch and change speeds and things of that nature, uh, his stuff has, has ticked up a bit. Uh, and I think that's what's helped him as he's moved up levels. But, uh, you know, for a guy who has more pitchability than pure stuff, he's still missing a good amount of bats. But there's a lot of strikes. Uh, all, all, of, all of the numbers are, are very impressive. Uh, and this is a guy who, you know, is just sneaking on to the – to the top 100 now, and I think you know when we go back, when we go and re-rank for 2017, I think we'll either we'll have to move him up, and then if he continues to do what he's been doing, he's he's definitely going to to move up as the season progresses and he moves up to the upper levels. And then uh, with pick number nine, uh, I'm going to go with Dylan Cousins, uh, who had a bit of a breakout year this year in Double A. Uh, Reading is a good place to hit. Uh, but he led all the minor leagues in, in home runs, and the, the power is legitimate. Uh, he is a huge physical specimen, uh, you know, good athlete for his size. Yes, they're swing and miss, uh, but I think, you know, he makes enough contact to tap into uh, that considerable raw power. And this is a guy that the Phillies always thought had some tools, and they're just trying to be patient uh, with, with him sort of, figuring it out and I think this is the year that he started to figure it out 
Along with the Red Sox, the Phillies, the only other team with two players on this team of the year. Uh, the other player, other than Cousins, still out there available. Jonathan, uh, Jim, you're up. Picks 10 and 11. Yeah, for pick, again, it's like I, I won't waste a lot of time debating which guy I will take in front of the other, but with uh, picks 10 11, I will take uh, Joe Jimenez, a uh, relief pitcher of the Tigers, and then Reese Hoskins, the first baseman from the Phillies. Jimenez, big-time arm. He's signed as a non-drafted free agent out of Puerto Rico. Uh, that's kind of an unusual path, but he's been tremendous in the minor leagues, has has plowed through the minor leagues very, very quickly, uh, up to AAA this year, three levels, 1.51 ERA, 30 saves. It's, I think he only blew one save all year, 78 strikeouts in 53 and two-thirds innings, and opponents only hit 144 off him. Big-time fastball, hard slider. Could see him in Detroit very soon. And then Hoskins, uh, who was overshadowed a little bit, uh, I think in most years he would have been Eastern League MVP, and he wasn't even the best player on that, that Reading roster because Cousins was on that team. But, you know, and again, I mean, yes, Reading's a good place to hit. Yes, the, the, the park, you know, helped him. He was better at home than on the road. But there is a lot of power there. He's another guy who's kind of risen from humble beginnings, a, a fifth-round pick out of Sacramento State two years ago. You know, tore up double-A this year. Very good year. One thing I do think that is promising for him, I think advantage he does have over Cousins, is that I think he controls the strike zone better. I think he's a little bit more disciplined at the plate, and we'll see as these guys continue to rise. You know, they both have tremendous raw power, but you know, how much will that continue to translate when they face better and better pitching? And then the only player still available, Jonathan, is Mitch Hanniger of the Diamondbacks, the right fielder on this team of the year, and you get him. Yeah, he had a tremendous season. Uh, it's a good story. Uh, with Hanniger, uh, you know, just because he bounced around, went from the Brewers to the Diamondbacks, he's a little bit older, took him a little bit longer, uh, but really started to put it together uh, this year, and uh, you know has the ability to do a, a lot of different things. Now, when all is said and done, is he an everyday corner outfielder at the big league level? I don't know about that, but he could be a really, really good fourth outfielder when all is said and done. And uh, you know, he, he was on our team largely based on what he did this year, uh, obviously with some, you know, with, with some nods towards the future in terms of what he, what he could be. And he's, he's just about ready, uh, I think, I mean, to, to be a full-time big leaguer. Uh, so uh, happy, happy to add him to my outfield. Jonathan, you have a, that'll do it for the draft. Jonathan, you have an article on the site right now about uh, players that had big second halves after struggling a little bit in the first half. So I thought you guys could each pick uh, a hitter and a pitcher um, to kind of talk about a little bit that, that people maybe people didn't realize how good a second half these guys had because sometimes the overall numbers don't really show you that. So on the hitter's side, since you wrote the article, Jonathan, you get to go first. Um, yeah, before I do, I want to give a shout-out to, to Austin Riley, who did not end up in the story because I only picked three hitters and three pitchers, but he had a, a tremendous second half, more, more in line with his unbelievable uh, pro debut, which had uh, people uh, buzzing. So uh, there's that. But uh, I'll, I'll talk about Rafael Devers, uh, who was one of the best overall prospects uh, in, in the story. Played all year at 19 in the Carolina League. Uh, started off incredibly incredibly slowly uh and barely hit his weight in april then each month started to come on and then that second half just completely took off you know ended up among the carolina league leaders and in a bunch of offensive categories which is a testament to uh how good his second half was because the first half was was really ugly i think he raised he raised his ops by more than 200 points 
uh, in the second half compared to his first half numbers. And uh, very excited to to see what he can do as he moves up to to Double A at age 20 in 2017. How about you, Jim? Who do you like as far as these guys that have really had big second halves? Yeah, I'll go with another uh, hitter in low Class A who had an impressive season once he got going. That'd be Isan Diaz of the Brewers. He came over from the Diamondbacks, I believe, in the it was the uh, Segura trade, um, and it could be could be the eventual future double play partner of Orlando Arcia in Milwaukee. Got off to a very slow start first couple months, and you know that said, extremely young player, and I think the Midwest League is probably the toughest place to hit in the entire minor leagues. Uh, you know, there's cold weather. There aren't really hitters' ballparks, and a lot of guys have trouble adjusting. But when you talk about adjusting, he definitely did. He was he was 19 at the start of the season, wound up leading the league in home runs, hit 20 home runs, uh, led the league in total bases. This guy, you know, I don't know if he stays at shortstop. Like I said, I mean, he may wind up sliding over to second and playing alongside Orlando Arcia when all is said and done. But this guy hits the ball hard, and he hits the ball hard consistently. He draws walks. He's not a fast runner, but he can steal a base here and there. Really like the offensive upside of Nissan Diaz. All right, so there's a couple of hitters. How about pitchers um, who really turned it on after the break? Back to you, Jonathan. Uh, I'll, stay, I'll stay close to home here uh, and, and go with Trevor Williams. Well, one of the things I liked about the, the pitchers that I picked is a couple of them were uh, you're not as the sort of higher-profile uh prospects you know guys closer to the back end of their top 30s and and trevor williams is at the end of the pirates top 30 uh this is a guy of course they got from the marlins uh really in effect as compensation for uh the marlins uh, snagging uh pitching guru jim benedict but uh start off your know, first half was just sort of okay uh, and this is a guy that a lot of people thought i was destined to the bullpen uh when all said and done uh, in the first half, it was kind of pedestrian numbers in the International League, you know, ERA in the high threes. And then in the second half, he was lights out. Low ERA, really low batting average against, uh, missed more bats, walk rate went down. All of it was much, much better. And I think because he pitched uh, so much better in the second half, that's why he ended up getting called up uh, when you know, when the rosters expanded in September, I think he was on the outside looking in initially. And, you know, the way he pitched helped him get to the big leagues and, and then eventually led to uh, one of the, the better stories in Pittsburgh in September, especially since the team has played so poorly. Major League debut, three innings of scoreless relief, gets the win. His dad is in attendance, you know, with his wife and an infant son. Uh, and they had a, a very emotional reunion after the game, uh, and so all of that, I think, happened because he had such a huge second half and uh, and maybe convinced a lot of people that he can stick in a rotation long term. That really was a cool moment in Pittsburgh with Trevor Williams with that major league debut. Finally, Jim, back to you. Yeah, I'll go with uh, with Francis Martez of the Astros, uh, another guy who was acquired in a trade, and he really intrigued me uh, a year ago. This was a guy who came over in the Jared Cozart trade with the Marlins in July 2014. He was really the kind of a, not an afterthought, but but clearly the third most uh, known guy in the trade that the Astros got. They got Colin Moran, who they had coveted in the draft, but but didn't get a chance to pick. And they like Jake Marisnik's defense. And they also got Martez. Great job of scouting by the pro scouting department of the Astros to find this guy in rookie ball. I mean, he hadn't done a whole lot. You fast forward a year later, he's in double A in 2015, and he's Astros' best pitching prospect. And, and so I was kind of curious to see what he would do for an encore. Was this guy as good as he looked? And in April, 
The answer was no. He got he struggled uh, in the first month of the season, battled his command a little bit, and I began to wonder, okay, maybe we overhyped this guy a little bit. But no, second half of the season, he was a Francis Martez we saw last year. You know, solid fastball that that could sit there and work in the mid 90s at times. He's got a power breaking ball. He threw a ton of strikes in the second half. You know, I, I think the one thing maybe the the, the the Astros really need to get over the top would be, you know, they, they have a lot of this. Dallas Keuchel, obviously, very effective last year, but a lot of their starting pitchers are more guys who who kind of pitch to contact and the ball gets put in play, and they need some guys who can go out and dominate and miss bats, and if you get to October, you know, go out there and shut down the other team. And I think Martez could be one of those guys. And so it was very heartening to see him have that strong second half. And, and I, I think the... The the anomaly was that slow start. This guy's legit. He's one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. Great stuff, guys. This has been the Pipeline Podcast. For Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time.